Yeah, so, you know, food combining works in a lot of folks uh, because it simplifies what we're putting in. I mean, think of your typical meal and how many different types of foods might be in that meal and different uh, digestive needs. So a high fat needs a different set of digestive environments than than carb. And when you combine them together, you tend to get the body a little bit mixed up. So it doesn't, it, it's not efficient at all of them. Welcome to Waste Away, the intermittent fasting podcast. If you want to learn how to lose weight for life through intermittent fasting, burn fat, heal your thyroid and autoimmune issues, and break the bondage of food, then this podcast is for you. I'm Chantal Ray, author of Waste Away, the Chantal Ray Way. And each week I have different guests answering your questions. If you haven't had a chance to pick up your copy of Waste Away, visit ChantelRayway.com slash podcast and you'll automatically get 20% off the book, audiobook, recipe book, coaching, and Inner Circle Facebook group. Remember, the thoughts and opinions in this podcast do not constitute medical advice. Hey guys, Aaron here. Before we get started, I just wanted to remind you that you can find our full podcast episodes on our YouTube channel. Not only do you get to see Chantel and our guests, but you also get to see any charts, graphs, or pictures that we may mention. Search Chantel Ray Way on YouTube or click the link in the show notes. And if you would like daily accountability as well as a resource with lots of helpful tips about Chantel's intermittent fasting lifestyle, head on over to ChantelRayWay.com slash coaching. As always, enjoy the show. Hey guys, welcome to this week's episode and we are so excited. We have Dr. Rita Marie and she has transformed thousands of people's lives. She is the founded the Institute of Nutritional Endocrinology because she's passionate about finding the root cause for illnesses. Uh, she's trained and certified hundreds of practitioners and transformed countless lives through her coaching and online programs. And it's such a pleasure to have you. Welcome, Dr. Rita Marie. Well, thank you. I'm really excited to be here. And, and I'm really excited about what you're doing with your podcast. It's awesome. Well, thank you. And you've struggled with um, your own illnesses that has kind of uh, led you to this. So talk about that. Just personally, what's going on with you? Well, right now I'm feeling great. I love my life and I'm really healthy, but it wasn't always like that. Back in my 20s, my health was falling apart and I didn't even know why. I was just doing my life and it caught up with me and I was experiencing brain fog, you know, that feeling of like, uh, you don't even know what's going on. I was experiencing some more serious things like really severe headaches and sinus issues. And I was also, the last draw was when I started to feel this doubling over pain in my stomach every time I ate. And I was going to doctors and specialists and I was given surgeries and I was given um, shots in my nose and cortisone and all kinds of antibiotics and ulcer medication and nobody could figure out what was wrong with me. And I was like 24, 25 years old. And I finally, when they said, well, you don't have an ulcer, just keep taking the ulcer medication. And I was like, huh, could it be my diet? And they're like, ah, no, 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 diet has nothing to do with it. And I'm a, I always take a challenge. My mom always called me the rebel girl. So whenever somebody said, no, it can't be something, I would say, sure it can. And I'd try to prove them wrong. So I started my journey and I started looking into diet and nutrition and fasting and, and um, cleansing and, and I got my health back. And it took a lot to do that. So I decided that it shouldn't be that hard for others. And I went back to school, quit my lucrative job back then in the computer industry, went back to school to 
be able to do what I do now. And I've never looked back. My health has never been better. It gets better and better as I age rather than worse and worse. You know, I envisioned myself back in my 20s. What am I going to be like in my 50s? And, you know, I ran my first marathon at 50 and I've done triathlons and I'm just full of energy and health and I love it. Wow. Well, you talk a lot about hormone balance and hormone healing with the food that we eat. Mm -hmm. Um, Are there groups of food that you think we eat way too much of and that we should be eliminating or restricting across the board? Or you kind of the belief that it's more of a case by case thing? What do you kind of tell your patients to start if they really want to start healing their body with food? Absolutely. So I think both, right? I think that there are absolutely foods that Almost everybody needs to be avoiding. Um, there's some foods that everybody needs to be avoiding that we all eat too much of. And then there's their, the gray areas of those foods that um, like some people just need more carbohydrates, but in a complex way, you know, in whole foods and other people like crash and burn on any kind of carbohydrates, even if it's just, you know, cooked carrots. So it's really a matter of figuring out for each person. Um, the things that people, we all need to avoid is I don't even think we should be discussing it in the category of food. It's foods that are non-foods, right? The processed crap that comes out of factories, it's loaded with ingredients we can't pronounce, Mm -hmm. hydrogenated and um, oxidized oils, even oils in general. And I'm a big proponent of not not oil because it's not a whole food either, you know? So whole foods, real whole foods that come from nature is where I try to push people towards. So expand on that just a little bit. Talk about the oils um, are you saying we just, in general, Americans are just eating exorbitant amounts of oil? Way too much. And we're glorifying it, right? We're glorifying olive oil. Like just eat the olives, right? The olives still have all the protein and the, the fiber and all the other good things in them. You know, I'm, I'm not like I'm a purist that I never eat olive oil or flax oil or something sprinkled on my salad. But I think that we've glorified it because we talk about carbs, right? Carbs, you know, have this like right now in this society where everything's intermittent fasting and keto, um, it's carbs that are like the enemy and they're not, but the carbs that most people eat are because they're white, they're refined, they're processed, they're made into flours, they make the blood sugar rise really quickly and that does a number on hormones. Um, So we say, okay, so whole grains are better than white grains, right? So the white flour stuff has been, you know, uh, given that status of not good for, for decades. But we still look at oil. Oil is the same as white flour. Oil is to a fatty food the same as white flour is to a whole grain. So it's not something we should be eating exorbitant amounts of. It's something that, I mean, we do it for the delicacy of it, right? We, uh, it's just tastes good to have a little bit of olive oil sprinkled over your tomatoes and basil. But that whole, like, let's throw a couple of tablespoons of oil into our shakes for health. Let's eat whole foods because they have all the others. Now, not to say that I don't therapeutically use oils with people. I have somebody who's underweight and just can't gain and just can't eat very much because their digestive tract's a mess. I'm gonna be putting them on coconut oil or MCT oil or adding them, having them abundantly add that just so that they can maintain while we're healing. Gotcha. Now, one more thing, you know, before we get started with the listener questions, I like to ask all my guests about what they eat on a typical day. So like, what is it, walk us through the day of the life of Dr. Rita Marie, you know, what'd you eat yesterday? And, and do you do any intermittent fasting or fasting yourself at all? Okay. So, um, 
first of all, there is no typical day for me because I'm, I'm on the run or I'm traveling or I'm here. I just eat differently, but there are certain, there are certain things that I do every day. Um, so I will, I'll say, answer the second question first, cause that's easier. Yes, I do intermittent fasting, fasting and fasting itself, like five day fasts regularly, sometimes 10. I've even done as many, much as 28 days. And that's what gave me back my health back in the day, you know, 30 years ago. Um, but I so do. You did, did you do 28 days of. Executively and just water. Just water. That is yes. amazing. It was an amazing healing event. And yeah, I lost a lot of weight. I was 92 pounds when I'm finished. I, you could see I'm not still 92 pounds. And it comes back. But when it came back, I was building it back with good food, with whole food. You know, I drew, grew up in the Twinkie generation, the breakfast cereal and, you know, the M&Ms and Kool-Aid and all that kind of garbage. And that's just, it wasn't serving my body. And when I could clean it out and clean house and just start from fresh, it, it, that changed my life. But on a regular basis, at least four times a year, I'll do a five-day fast. Sometimes I'll extend it to, you know, seven or eight or 10. On a regular basis, I generally, I always go, minimum 14 hours between my last meal and my first oftentimes usually it's more like 16 to 18 and sometimes i do 24 hour fasts when i first started teaching intermittent fasting back in i don't know 2010 or something um what i was teaching was more the intermittent fasting of twice a week do a 24 hour fast you know skip uh, have breakfast and skip till the next breakfast or have dinner skip till the next dinner whatever works best in your circadian rhythm um, but now everybody's talking about more this fixed feeding window. I always taught people 12 hours. You always should have 12 hours. So that's not, I don't consider that intermittent fasting. I just consider that, you know, normal eating pattern. But when you extend it to 16, it is, a, there is a little bit more of a challenge for people who do that. Like you, you have to get used to that feeling of hunger and go, oh, it's just hunger. I'll eat, you know, I'll eat a couple of hours and eating within a window, right? A window of six or eight hours is where I get my food. So I do intermittent fasting all the time. Very rarely do I eat before noon. Usually it's more like two before I have my first meal. I tend to be a late night person, which I shouldn't be. It's not good for me, but I tend to stay up late. So if I start eating, you know, say at two and I finish at eight, it works for me. Awesome. All right, let's jump right in. This first oh, one. Food. Is I didn't answer your food. Oh, yeah, so yeah. Yesterday, I'll give you yesterday because that's the most close on my mind. Yesterday at about, I think it might have been 1.30 or 2, I had um, a green, a quart of green smoothie. And in my green smoothie is a whole bunch of greens and turmeric and ginger and jalapeno and avocado. Um, no fruit, just greens. I mean, it's just like this really hearty, but lots of flavor, you know, lots of spices and things. And it was delicious. So I had that to start. Uh, yesterday, I actually had two of them in succession because I was very hungry still. So I had two of them. Oftentimes, I'll have that and I'll have, say, um, a bowl of sauerkraut with chopped up avocado and hemp seeds on top of it or something along those lines. Or if I have time, you know, I'll make a full on salad and eat it. But oftentimes, I'm, you know, I've got a lot to do. So I want foods that I can eat quickly and don't have to do a lot of chewing. And as you know, eating a salad is a lot of chewing. It takes a long time. Um, another, um, in addition to that yesterday, so I had the smoothie and along with it, I, there's this almond cash, uh, almond cream cheese that's made by Kite Hill, I think is the name of the company and it's jalapeno flavor. So I had like a, 
maybe a third of the container of that with some celery and I just ate that and that was my lunch. My dinner was a huge salad and the huge salad had all kinds of greens and arugula and things like that, a little bit of tomato, uh, radishes, etc. And um, some steamed veggies. My husband had steamed up some broccoli and cabbage and cauliflower. So steamed cruciferous vegetables on top with sprinkled with hemp seeds, a little bit of flax oil. So there I, I did the oil thing because I didn't, I don't like flax seeds, but I wanted some of that. So I sprinkled a little of that on there and, and I had some sauerkraut with that. I always do probiotics with my food, my meals. And that was my, that was my meals, two meals. That is fantastic. I love that. It sounds like a great one. Now, as far as grains go, do you eat any grains? Do you just really try to focus on fruits and vegetables or? Yeah, I don't personally eat grains. Um, but it's not that I don't recommend people do. Some people do really well with quinoa and millet. I always say non-gluten grains and always not flour, just the whole grain. Um, but I just don't, I tend to have a hereditary blood sugar, a tendency to blood sugar imbalance. So for me, you know, a bowl of pineapple will shoot my blood sugar through the roofs and drop my ketones down. So I'm constantly measuring constantly, but I regularly measure my ketones and my glucose and have a range that I want to keep myself in. So how much fruit would you say you have in a day? In a typical day, none. In a typical week, maybe, um, you know, like a, a last weekend, I bought a package of blueberries to eat with my coconut yogurt. And it took me four days to get three quarters of the way through the, the little half pint of blueberries. So I eat very little. Um, I had a couple of orange slices. I was traveling. So I eat very little fruit on a regular basis. If you don't count avocado and tomato and cucumber, which are botanically fruits, I eat a lot of those. Yeah. Gotcha. And then, so what about, do you eat meats or do you not eat meats at all? I don't eat meats at all. So I, my, my diet consists of lots and lots of non-starchy vegetables um, carrots, you know, raw carrots work really well for me. So those are a bit starchy, but if I cook them, it raises my blood sugar. So I'm always battling with these genetics towards diabetes and heart disease. And I'm, you know, I'm really strict about not doing it. Um, if I'm out, I had some, I think I had some strawberries over the weekend. I was at a wedding, I had these beautiful big strawberries. I have no problem. I love fruit. I love fruit, but, um, I just am careful with it. And when I do eat fruit, I eat it with greens. I don't just eat it by itself because when I find that when I eat it with greens, it doesn't raise my blood sugar and it, you know, just gives all those nice minerals to help absorb it. Yeah. So grains are- What about nuts? nuts? What about nuts? I actually eat a fair amount of nuts. I try not to eat nuts. I use them more like I make yogurts with them. I make sauces with them. I make dips with them because they tend to be an addictive food for me. If I just, yeah, how easy it is, is it to just sit there and eat a thousand calories worth of nuts, right? It's just so- easy to do and I don't do that. Gotcha. Um, so do you, how do you, like, do you share some of your amazing recipes that you do? Oh my God. I have probably published, uh, almost a thousand pages worth of recipes. Yes, I do share my wow. recipes. Yeah. And is that on your website? Well, the book, there's books that you can purchase on my website and there's programs that I've created. So hormone balancing programs. So in my blood sugar balancing program, we have a 250 page recipe guide. In my gut repair program, we have like 180 page recipe guide. So each of those uh, hormone repairs, adrenal repair, thyroid repair, we have a specific recipe guide that's geared towards that. 
So people in the programs get access to those. And then on my website, I have like a breakfast menu one and I have a lunch and I have other recipes like that. And then I have a lot of them that are freebies that, you know, just give me your name and email address and I'll send you a copy of it. And I've got a hormone elixirs recipe guide. I've got really cool breakfast guide that's more keto, a keto friendly, intermittent fasting friendly breakfast guide. That's really good. And if, have you had personally had any thyroid issues at all in your previous um, back in my twenties, I believe I did, but I, you know, knowing what I know now, I have a feeling I might've had some auto autoimmune thyroid issues back then, but nobody was testing for it. As you know, with thyroid, right. nobody tests for it. Right. I don't right now. I, you know, my, my numbers are all looking good, but I think I did back then. I just have a feeling looking back that knowing what I know now, I wish I would have tested. So I would have known. Awesome. Okay, this let's jump right into the listener questions. This is from Angie in Maryland. I've been doing intermittent fasting consistently for about a year. I stick to a six-hour window during the week and eight hours during the weekend. I eat a low-carb diet in my window and hardly splurge. Several times a month, I will do a 24- to 48-hour fast and work out five days a week. This has worked out really well for me to get my ideal weight and maintain it. Mm. I'm really upset because in February, I didn't change anything about my diet or habits and gained 12 pounds. Something has to be wrong. Do you have any idea what's happening? I scheduled a doctor's appointment and I want to make sure that I'm asking the right questions and have the right things tested. Could this be hormone related? Angie in Maryland. Did she say how old she is? No. Yeah. So, you know, given that, you know, if she's right around that perimenopausal age, something, things do shift. Um, I would say, first of all, I would, the first thing I think about is the stress. Did something stressful happen? Did some family member die? Did you get divorced? You know, things like that, that create stress that increase cortisol and cortisol increases insulin because it increases blood sugar. And then we go into fat storage mode. Um, I would say, you know, sleep wise, how's the sleep? Uh, are you sleeping enough? Because again, if I'm not sleeping enough, I will have lots of cravings for food. I also gain weight without even eating anymore. The other thing is sometimes we reach a plateau and the body gets to the point where it downregulates the metabolism. It goes, okay, you're not going to feed me more. You're, you know, I'm just going to slow down a little bit. So that kind of thing can happen, especially if you're on, it sounds like more of a, a, a keto type diet um, with intermittent fasting. Um, we, that sometimes happens. The other thing, uh, it depends on how you're doing this. I, you don't say how much fruits and vegetables you're eating, you say low carb, so probably not a lot of fruit. A lot of people, the mistake they make when they're doing a low carb diet is they're eating low carb, but they're not eating a lot of veggies. They're mostly eating lots of meat and lots of fats and lots of oils. And, you know, after a while, the, the liver can get toxic and sluggish from that. So if you go into the doctor, here's are the things I would recommend that you make sure that they test for you. One is a full liver panel, all your liver enzymes to see how your liver is doing. The other one is full thyroid testing, because sometimes with a, a ketogenic diet um, that's high in animal fat, that's low in fiber, will 
downregulate the thyroid. So I, re I would do a full thyroid panel, including total T4, well, TSH they always do, but total T4, free T4, free T3, and thyroid antibodies, TPO, and antithyroglobulin. And get that full panel, because there might be some effect that's had on your, and possibly even reverse T3. Mm, yeah, I think that is, that's exactly how it would answer that for me as well. I would say, you know, a lot of times the one thing that she said in in there was that without changing my diet. And I've seen a lot of people who get onto these high fat keto diets. And number one, I've seen a lot of people get uh, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, this is people, people think, you know, if you have a fatty liver disease, fatty liver disease that, you know, you have drank too much alcohol or stuff mm -hmm. like that. And um, so one of the things that I would suggest too is really writing down what you're eating. Cause she says, she says, I didn't really change anything about my diet or habits. And like you said, a lot of times like with nuts, you don't, you, you, you could eat a thousand calories of nuts and not really overeat. You know what I'm saying? You don't feel and so full and bloated from it. Yeah. No, exactly. you don't feel full and bloated. And and it's like, yeah, but you might be just eating exorbitant amounts of calories and not even realizing it. So I would really want to see yep. it written down. What is she actually eating? Because 12 pounds is a big deal. And that means to me that she's probably eating some really high caloric, even like avocados, which I'm obsessed with avocados, but I can get a little out of, out of control with avocados because I love them so much. Yeah, I, I, would, I would just, that's a great, great advice because a lot of times we lose track of it. And, and the thing is, when we start like a keto type plan, people find they can eat as much as they want. Mm -hmm. And they just drop away because they're just shifting into fat burning. But, but there reaches this plateau where you can't do that anymore. And I really, I agree with you that write it all down, but also look at those other factors in terms of stress yes. and sleep, right? Yeah. Absolutely. And um, the biggest thing, like you said, I would look at that reverse T3. Because um, a lot of times when they do your, your thyroid panel, they don't, they do a very limited one and they don't do an ex extended one. Exactly. exactly. Okay, Jackie in Oklahoma. My husband has been complaining more than usual that I leave clumps of hair in the shower and I've realized he is right. I'm not sure what's going on, but I'm shedding like a dog. Could this be hormone related and should I be worried? When do I know it's time to go to the doctor? All right. So first of all, again, when you don't say, say your age, I don't have like, when I know an age, then I can, you know, more accurately assess what might be going on. Hair loss is a common thing. It could be a biotin deficiency. You're just not suddenly going to develop a biotin deficiency. More likely it's a hormone related thing. It could be thyroid related. It could be adrenal related, and it could be a menopausal type thing. So depending on what your age is, if you're 35, it's obviously not going to be, you know, your menopause going into menopause unless you've got some, you know, weird genetics. But um, so those kinds of things, I would say when to go to the doctor, most doctors, if they're conventional medicine, me Western medicine trained, will laugh at you and say, 
all right, no big deal. Just change your shampoo or something, right? They don't really look at that and they won't really dig for it. So I would look at, you know, what kind of stress have you been under? Stress catches up to you and then all of a sudden things happen, right? So what kind of stress have you been over under over the last few years, right? Those life habits, those life events like divorce and death and changing jobs and relocating and having babies, all of these things play in. You don't say whether you have babies, like, if you're six months post uh, childbirth, it's going to mean a different hormonal imbalance than it would be if not. So I would say before you go running to your, you know, HMO, PPO type doctor, think about getting full lab panels from somebody who knows what they're doing in terms of functional medicine. So a functional medicine assessment is what I would say is a good thing right now. Awesome. The next one is from Cheryl in Sarasota. You talked a little, uh, it says, I've been struggling with heartburn and some digestion, i.e. poop issues. And I, a friend of mine mentioned that I should look into food combining. She swears it's really helping her with her weight loss. But I'm a little skeptical and wonder if that's a bunch of hype. I figure all food goes to the same place when I eat it anyway. Can you explain how it works and if it's really worth it? Yeah, so, you know, food combining works in a lot of folks uh, because it simplifies what we're putting in. I mean, think of your typical meal and how many different types of foods might be in that meal and different uh, digestive needs. So a high fat needs a different set of digestive environments than than carb. And when you combine them together, you tend to get the body a little bit mixed up. So it doesn't, it, it's not efficient at all of them. So for some people, that's really important for some people not people who already have a compromised digestive tract, it could be helpful and could be something to look at. When I think heartburn, though, if I think heartburn, I think reflux, um, or it's in the stomach, or it's coming up the esophagus one or the other, and it she doesn't specify. But that says to me that either you have acid in the wrong place, which is when it comes up in the esophagus. The esophagus isn't, doesn't have this nice plump juicy lining that allows it to get acidic and protect the underlying uh, tissue. And so like the stomach does. So usually that heartburn is that the, the, the acidic contents of the stomach are flowing up. There's a lot of things that can cause that. Uh, low stomach acid, not high stomach acid. Again, age dependent. If you're a teenager, it could be high stomach acid. If you're past your 30s, it's most likely not because it declines with age. So it's looking at that sort of thing. Um, for symptomatic relief, I would be looking at demulsants. It's a term of for a specific set of herbs and foods that have a lot of mucilage in them that help to repair. One of my favorites is slippery elm. There's also marshmallow and DGL licorice. And I say DGL licorice versus just straight licorice because licorice has a tendency to raise people's blood pressure in certain individuals. But I, if I don't know, if I know enough about your history, I always go there because that has that piece that uh, glycerizic acid which raises blood pressure taken out so i would look at some of that i would also look at what you're eating i have a whole chart of foods that hurt the digestive lining and foods that help alcohol can thin it caffeine can thin it if you're a smoker if you eat fast that can cause a lot of problems there too if you're not chewing your food enough if you're eating under stress, this is huge. And these are the simple, like I call it eating hygiene that most people overlook. If you're eating when you're sitting at your desk, scarfing down this food, not chewing it well, but you're under stress trying to get a project done and a deadline met, 
you have cortisol levels elevated in your system. And cortisol's job is to get you tiger safe, right? You get you ready to run away from the tiger so it shuts down the digestive tract because that's not important in that particular um, realm. So those are some of the things I would look at for her. Yeah, and I will tell you for me personally, um, food combining is a really great thing. Um, you know, the idea behind food combining is that different foods digest at different rates in the body and it and they require different digestive environments. Yeah. And um, so for me, you know, the basic principles, if you haven't heard about it before, is to always eat fruit before a meal and by itself. Um, and that you should avoid combining starches and protein in the same meal. Um, so that's kind of the basics of it if you haven't heard about it. But for me, um, it makes a big, big difference with digestion. And especially if you are used to eating larger portions, when you, when you're, if your portion sizes are really, really small, um, you know, I don't think food combining is quite as big of a deal, but when, unfortunately, the average size of the, what portions are around here are so much bigger than they actually need to be. And so when you're eating large volumes of food, food combining is actually really, yeah. really important, especially a lot of people who are um, eating like you know, they do the one meal a day or stuff like that, and they're eating huge portions, they have to be extra, extra careful with food combining. Yep. yep, I agree with that. Hey guys, we absolutely love getting your questions into the podcast, but we're also interested in your journey. So if you've started intermittent fasting and have some success or even struggling a little bit, we want to hear about it. Email me your intermittent fasting stories to Chantel at ChantelRayWay.com. Now back to the show. Okay, Katie in Virginia Beach. You talked a bit about celery juice in your last episode and all the excitement around that. And I wanted to see what your opinion is on juicing versus smoothies, since I know you love both. What are the benefits of one or the other? And are there certain fruits and veggies that are better to juice versus blend in a smoothie? Or is it at all a matter of preference? Katie in Virginia Beach. All right, that's a great question. So personally, um, I think fruits should never be juiced. Um, you know, unless you've got someone who absolutely is, you know, emaciated, as cachexic and just needs the extra calories. What happens with it? And that's probably not a good idea with them either because they're probably that way because of cancer and juice feeds cancer. Whether it's fresh squeezed orange juice, fresh squeezed organic apple juice, regardless, you've taken out all the fiber and that sugar goes right into your system just as if you ate a candy bar. Um, so I, I avoid juicing any kind of fruits. I love both. So um, for me personally, I have very sensitive blood sugar. If I drink like a quart of green juice, even if there's no fruit in it, and I just do my typical, just drink it down, gulp it down in 15 minutes, it will raise my blood sugar a little bit more than I like. Not terribly high, like if I ate fruit juice, drank fruit juice, but it raises it a little bit higher. So what I find is when I'm traveling, I do more juices because it's easier to go to the store and buy a nice green juice, but I usually throw some chia seeds in it. 
and the chia seeds will soak up some of that and it slows down the absorption so that I have all that fiber that slows down and I don't get the sugar rush. Um, but I do drink a lot of juice. I also drink a lot of smoothies. My favorite is the smoothies because I can pack so many things in it and I can make it taste phenomenal. I don't put fruits in there. Um, I used to. I used to put fruits in there. I always, though, followed the rule of at least 60% leafy, leafy greens and celery and other things like that in there so that you don't, again, get the, the blood sugar rush with those. Yeah. And I love that you said that about the fruit juice because, so I have this great juicer, um, like a citrus juicer at the house that's automatic and you just cut the fruit in half and then you just stick it on and just, you know, it's one of those Breville ones and you just push it down. And I love it for lemons and limes. But one, my husband loves this mixed drink that we have here at a place called Waterman's. It's like all the rage. It's called an orange crush and they do fresh squeezed oranges and a medium size orange is about 10 grams of sugar. And I made, you know, just a cup about this size. I had poured, you know, juice the oranges. It took six oranges to fill up a cup this size. And, and I was thinking, oh my gosh. So if someone literally drank eight ounces of this, that would have been 60 grams of sugar you know, that's just a lot, you know, and it, obviously it just depends on the, the orange and, and all of that, but it could be anywhere from, you know, 40 to 60 grams of sugar, all depending on, um, you know, that orange. And that's just, like you said, it's just too much without having any fiber at all. So, yep. so here's the only exception I make to doing, um, juicing. If you have a rest, a recipe for a salad dressing, that's like grapefruit juice or orange juice, with blended with avocado or something like that and blended mm. with, I usually blend it with veggies. I love to make salad dressings where I throw something in the blender. I blend up some veggies and then add some fat or, um, and, and some tartness and that kind of thing where you had a little bit of orange juice thrown in and then you have it with the fat and with the, the fiber, then that's going to slow that down and it won't give you that sugar rush into your system. This next one is from Anonymous. She says, this is my crazy, it's a girl or guy, I don't know. <laughs> this is my craziest time of the year as I'm an accountant and my stress eating is out of control. Mm-hmm. I don't have time to go home, grocery shop and cook. So I'm binging on fast food. During the day, I constantly snack at my desk because I feel like the only thing I have to look forward to each day is the food and what I'm going to eat next. I'm sure a big part of the problem is my mind and metal, mental state. What can I do to get this stress under control? Wow. Yeah, so emotional eating is a very common problem, more so in men, women than men, although I know some men who have that issue, they, they don't talk about it as much as women do. Um, it's very common, and we, we learned that as kids. You know, mama soothed us when we got a cut knee and gave us a lollipop, and we learned to associate food with soothing. And, and when you're under stress like this and you're constantly working, um, it's common to have that. So um, I think getting some help with that, and there are some wonderful programs that can help guide you through it from people who have already been there and have very specific activities. That's not my area of expertise, but I always guide people in that direction. Um, but I would say, you know, uh, incorporating something like heart math, and you go to heartmath.org. It's a very quick technique. And I do this throughout the day because I'd be like, I don't have time to 
meditate. You know, but you need to meditate. I don't have time to meditate. So I would do things like um, I learned about this heart math, and it's a technique which involves breathing and appreciation. And you can just literally do it in 30 seconds to a minute. It may take a little longer to learn it. Maybe it takes two minutes or three minutes. But you can literally shift your state and shift yourself down and get those cortisol levels down. You've got a double whammy when you're sitting at your desk eating all day and you're under stress because cortisol itself will go and break down muscle and turn it into, into sugar so you can get away from the tiger. No tigers there, so it gets stored back as belly fat. And that in addition, what happens is when you're eating all day, you've got a steady drip of insulin in your system. And insulin is a hormone that stores fat can't burn fat. It actually turns off the breakdown of fat when insulin levels reach a certain level, which is just slightly above baseline. So you can't burn fat. And so you're eating all day. And even if you're just eating, you know, celery and avocado all day, you're still going to gain weight because you're putting yourself into fat storage mode with the insulin. So I think getting the stress under control, check out something like heart math because it's not something where you have to sit in, you know, a meditative position for a half an hour, an hour at a time, which you, you don't have, but you do have 30 seconds. The other thing I would say is when you're in that mode is do some exercise because exercise will bring down your sugar and something you can do right standing at your desk is just do a few squats, Great. right? Do some arm lifts. I keep a medicine ball really close by and I can just pick it up and, you know, do a few things with it. I have a stair stepper by my desk. So depending on whether you work at home or you work in an office, you know, how much you can have there. But just little things like that that you can do it. I call it desk exercise. you know. You exercise at your desk and try to dissipate some of that stress. And if you know how it feels, if, if you're stressed out, I like, if I go out for a run and I'm stressed out, I come back and go, I wonder what I was stressed about. It's, you know, it goes away because you've got this movement and you've got this great set of hormones and oxygen gets to all your tissues. Because one of the things we don't do when we're stressed is we don't breathe. We don't, yeah. You don't get full air in. So just take a couple of breathing moments throughout the day. Okay, Adrian in Greensboro. I've been fasting and eating about 90% clean for the past four months and have consistently lost one to two pounds per week at a minimum, sometimes more. For the past two weeks, I haven't seen the scale drop an ounce. I'm still about 30 pounds overweight, so I shouldn't be slowing down just yet. Do you have any advice on how I could break this stall? Are there foods I should completely eliminate? Adrian in Greensboro. Okay, so I'm going to be speaking in a vacuum because I don't know what foods she's currently eating. And the 90% always gets to me because whatever that 10% is can make a huge difference. And whenever we start a program, there's this, you know, rapid weight loss, but then we plateau and there's could be some food sensitivities. Um, I would certainly look at if you're eating gluten or dairy or sugar in any way, shape or form to get rid of them completely. Um, to pay attention to how you're feeling when you eat. Do you feel like you're your heart starts to race after certain foods? Do you feel like, you know, a little bit tired or a little bit jumpy after certain foods? So identifying food intolerances is key. But what is that other 10%? I would also look at spacing of meals. If you're eating meals closer together than four to six hours, again, you're going into that insulin levels. Um, the insulin levels are in your system. And a lot of times we start a program and you're really strict at the beginning and you're spacing out your meals. And then they're like, little snack here snips slips in and a little snack there slips in so i would look at that 10 percent where you're not clean and i would go 100 percent clean 
and do that for a period of, you know, three months and see if that can jumpstart it back down. And of course, you got to look at exercise. Sleep is huge. You're going to gain weight if you're not sleeping enough and people don't associate it with with that or or you're not going to lose weight because of the way the hormones shift during the night and leptin levels and insulin and growth hormone. If you're not sleeping, that's going to make a huge difference as well. And again, the stress piece. Great. Uh, last question, Devin in New York. In addition to fasting, I follow a low-carb diet, and my friend gave me a hack that magnesium helps her go to the bathroom. When I started taking it, I noticed that my random muscle cramping really improved. I decided to do some Googling and found that literally almost symptom of a magne magnesium deficiency applied to me. Besides taking the supplements, how can I be sure that I'm getting enough magnesium in my diet? And are there specific supplements you recommend? Devin in New York. Great question. So uh, the foods that are high in magnesium tend to be the green leafy vegetables and a lot of the veggies. So a lot of folks are just not having their huge plates of veggies and juicing and smoothies help you get a lot of that. But all that said, our food supply is really going down in terms of magnesium. So it often is important to add a magnesium supplement. I tend to like liquids. I was looking to see if I have one on my desk, but I don't. I tend to like liquid mineral supplements better than pills because they get absorbed really quickly and ionized minerals. Um, there's several companies that make them. I think Sun Warrior just came out with one and there's a company called Ojai and there's another company called good state. And there's a bunch of companies that make them in that liquid form. It doesn't taste real good, but you just put a few dropperfuls in a little bit of water and scarf it down and it's no big deal. Um, for the laxative effect, uh, a powdered magnesium citrate tends to work the best. Um, that's the, the Calm, which is a supplement that's sold, but be careful because some of them may add other ingredients to them to make them taste good. But a magnesium citrate is the one that's going to help you to flush and, and uh, move your bowels better. Awesome. Well, your website has a ton of resources besides your online courses. You have a ton of recipes and a link to all your books there. Tell everyone the best place to find you and follow you. Yeah. So if you go to drritamarie.com, I would highly recommend you opt in to get my hormone elixirs. It's like me standing there holding my elixir book. People love it, especially a lot of the questions that came up do have to do with elix uh, the hormones. And there's some really great recipes in there. And going back to the person with the hair loss, the experience I had with this book with the elixirs is someone started making an elixir every day after she, because she loved them, they tasted good. She also, you know, got off gluten and she was really focusing on her omega-3s. Within a month, she sent me a before and after picture. Her hair, like, was so different within a month. And so when she said that, a lot of other people, she said it on one of our coaching calls, and a lot of other people said, oh, I'm going to try that. And I consistently started to hear stories that after a month of being on these elixirs, the hair started coming back. Mm. So I would highly recommend you do it that way and just explore around. Um, I also have some gifts that you will have the links there for you that I would love to offer you. One is called the Hormone Hacking Break Your Fast Recipe Menu Guide. And they call it Break Your Fast Versus Breakfast because people associate breakfast with that sit down first thing in the morning and eat breakfast. And with intermittent fasting, a lot of people aren't even eating until noon or two in the afternoon. But it's still important that the meal that you use to break your fast break your overnight fast or even breaking a longer fast has some balance to it. So I give you the five key components, essential components of a, um, a 
break your fast meal. And then I give like, I think there's actually 19 recipes in that book. It's really a nice little book. So I'd love to offer that. And then the other thing, because we're talking fasting a lot and ketosis and ketogenic low carb diets, um, the, the myth is that you have to be eating like 80% carb and very few grams of, I mean, 80% fat and very few grams of carb. And the truth is, if people do that, then the only green vegetables they're eating, if they have to stay under 50 grams of carbs, are, are like lettuce. They're not really even able to get it because the fiber carbs are different than sugar carbs. And I've discovered that you can eat a lot of vegetables, a lot of vegetables with the fat. And you don't have to be like meticulous about measuring it. Uh, find what works for you. So I have a little booklet called Ketones for the Rescue to the Rescue for Brain Health, and it talks about the the difference between burning ketones and burning fat, and it has some really fun recipes in there. Awesome. And if you go under your link under books, um, there's one book that I like. It says Dessert Making It Rich Without Oil. That I need to get that one. I that one uh, looks really, really good with no gluten, no dairy, no refined sugar, no short, no soy. Um, just really good raw whole food kind of treats. Yeah. yeah. Now, how often will you say that you will eat one of these, you know, do, would you say I eat, you know, something every day or, you know, a couple oh, times a recipe. Um, you know, from, from one that of your book, sweets, that mm -hmm. book has uses, um, non low glycine. It uses fruits as sweeteners. So dates or raisins. I don't actually eat from that book anymore. I've mm -hmm. substituted. And in my other programs, I've like taken recipes from there and substituted. So here's a, here's a real good hack. If you have a recipe that calls for dates, say as a sweetener or calls for honey or agave or maple syrup as a sweetener, what I do is I soak some chia seeds to get the goopy, you know, the, the syrupy kind of thickness to it. And then I add a low glycemic sweetener like Lohan or uh, stevia. Some people can tolerate erythritol, one of the sugar alcohols, and sweeten it that way and just do that to taste and then add that to the recipe. And it works beautifully. So that's what I've done with most of those recipes in there. Um, and I have, a, I have a book, I have my Unstoppable Health book, which I've written, and there's a resource page on my site. And I think it's on, well, buy the book for $2.99 $2 or whatever on Amazon. And there's a link, I don't remember it, but in there, there's a really nice... Um, it's like a two-page thing on how do you substitute sugars. Like you have a recipe that has sugar in it. How do you substitute it for the low glycemic version? Awesome. Well, your, um, your website is amazing. I didn't see that book, The Unstoppable Health, on your website. Really? Do Go you? to Amazon. I think it's on it. We should have a link. We should put a link there. I'm, you know, yeah. the website has is, is been like my forgotten child. So I'm going <laughs> to yeah, so just you can find that one, The Unstoppable Health, on Amazon then? It's on Amazon, right? You can yeah. go on, okay. on a hardcover or just a Kindle or both. Um, the other thing that I will say is, I don't know if it's on the website yet, I'm going to make sure it gets there, is we just did a healthy keto challenge. We called it the healthy keto challenge because it was talking about how do you measure, get into ketosis, incorporate intermittent fasting, but also incorporate lots of veggies. And it's a five-day uh, challenge. Amazing. We had such amazing results. And it's available if you go to healthyketochallenge.com. You can get all the recordings and the recipe guides and all that kind of stuff. And it's only like $27. So 
Yeah. Awesome. Well, Dr. Rita Marie, it has been a pleasure having you, and we're just so grateful that you came on the show. And if you have a question that you want answered, go to questions at ChantelRayway.com. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Hey guys, thanks for listening to today's podcast. If you enjoy the podcast, it would mean the world to us for you to leave a review on iTunes to get this podcast out to others that may have the same questions that you do. And as always, if you have a question that you want answered, email those to questions at chantelrayway.com. And if you would like daily accountability as well as a resource with lots of helpful tips about Chantel's intermittent fasting lifestyle, head on over to chantelrayway.com slash coaching. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.